Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is the Mark Boris Podcast. Uh, good morning. Great, it's raining. We need some rain. Um, we're going to have a good good run at it this morning. We've got Lisa McGuigan. How are you going, Lisa? Good, gorgeous. How are you? Good, thanks. Did you come all the way from the Hunter Valley this morning? Yes, just to see you guys. Oh, that's awesome. How, long you, how, many, drinks is that, how many drinks is that on the way? Is it like a six-drink trip? Or? Well, look, it's about... When I drive, yeah. it's about four drinks. Four drinks. Yeah, but the police are really right behind me, close. Well, they probably know you anyway. They do. Let us through. They... <laughs> yeah, they like to chat to me a bit. Yeah, That's I can see you brought thing. some of your stuff with you. Yes. What do you I got did. in front of us? I've got my new range of Lisa McGuigan wines. So this is your your range, Lisa McGuigan wines. That's correct. That's cool. I've gone out in competition with my dad. Yeah, that's always a good thing. It's friendly though. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. How friendly? Really is friendly. Own, is, he, is he an investor in your business? No, no because okay. last time I did and that, it's not friendly. he, he took owned the business. <laughs> <laughs> and he yeah. took the business. Yeah, yeah. So we've got – actually, that's interesting because we've got uh, Nick Fordham from John Fordham and uh, we've got Lisa McGuigan from the McGuigan family. We've got Nick Boris from the Boris family. So this could be a sort of mutiny uh, in one day. <laughs> uh, so, uh, okay, Lisa – just give us some background now, okay? Obviously, you're a McGuigan of the famous McGuigan wine family. But give me a bit of background. Tell me where you come okay. from, what you're doing, how yes. it all happened. Okay, so um, when I was growing up, my dad wanted me to be a winemaker and I didn't really want to do what my dad did because, you know, it looks a bit daggy to see what your dad does as a child. Yeah. So um, he sent me... He's nodding away furiously. He sent me to finishing school to beat it out of me in Switzerland. It's still, I still didn't get it beaten out of me. And I came back you, and... You look like the, the end product of a Swedish finishing school. <laughs> Do I? Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Swiss. <laughs> no, sorry. Swiss, Swiss finishing school. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so I... Did um, you at least learn French? We. Oui. Yeah. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I was outside. I had a I had a great time there, but I came back and studied hotel management. And well, I started hotel management there. Then I worked in hotels for like fifteen years, and then I decided that uh, maybe. What do you I... mean by working in hotels? Tell me what that means. Like, you know, is that hospitality? That's... I worked in five star hotels. Right. Okay. So I worked in middle management in food and beverage. Yep. So. Going to Switzerland gave me that hotel management kind of bug because that was all in then. And in Europe, it was a profession to work in the hospitality industry back in the 80s. So it was starting to become big here, but it only hit 
Australia in like the late 90s. That's too long That it was wait. a profession. Yes. So, uh, but it was a great grounding for me because while I was there, I was the wine buyer at the one of the hotels that I worked at, which was called the Sydney Renaissance then. Mm-hmm. And it's not called that now, it's something else. But uh, I was the wine buyer and I kept seeing all these great wines come across my desk, but I just thought the packaging wasn't really amazing. What and do you mean by the packaging? Well, the the bottle that it was in or the label, and um, I'm talking about sort of like 1995 when the really great brands that were trendy were Crozer, Evans and Tate, um, um, Xanadu, do any of those names ring a bell? Yeah, some, Peta- of, the, some of the Perth brands. Petaluma. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So they were all the, yeah, amazing brands. But just think of the labels for one moment. And those labels are very – they're still around, which is great because they're the, the, the icons of the industry. But women started to be the selectors of wine. And when I was thinking about wines to put on my wine list, I looked up some research that we had from the through the hotel and it – stated that 70% of wine purchased in Australia in about 1995 was purchased by females. Is that at the bottle shop or at the, in the in the Generally. Restaurant? Over, Anywhere. Yeah. So you can imagine you might send your assistant out to get wine for a function. She could be a chick. The wife getting wine on the way home for the boss coming over. The girlfriend picking up the wine because the boyfriend forgot. <clears throat> all of those occasions. I've experienced all of those. The, 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 the <laughs> wife going shopping to get the goods and now the bottle shops are really close in proximity to the uh, food um, supermarkets so, or in, in little arcades there's always a bottle shop. So the, the woman picks it up because it's, it's easier yeah. and she picks up a case of wine for the week. So that's how women come to purchase, make the, a major decision on wine. Today, 7 out of 10? It's roughly still the same. Purchases are made, uh, yeah. are either made or influenced by the female. That's correct. Right. It's not that we tell the guys what to buy. No. It's not that at all. It's just how life is. Blokes don't say, listen, go and give me a bin 389. They don't say that, do they? They might. They might. If you know what, uh, sometimes, Penfolds is a man's um, wine. Yes, we know. And dads, <laughs> your dads drank it usually and then you drink it. You might take a step up to the next one to the St. Henry. Mm, just my favourite. How it rolls out. See, I could tell. S- yeah. <laughs> St. Henry or St. Henry? I don't know how they say it, St. Henry. St. You can say it how you like because, yeah. you know, if you know that you like it. She went to finishing school. They're yeah. really – I won't correct you on the pr- pronunciation because it doesn't matter, you know. It's okay I, to I say it whichever way. I agree. At least you know your brand. But their corks are always buggered, the St. Henry. I don't know what the deal is, but I just want a screw top. Well, they, they will go to screw top eventually. Yeah. But the range is in screw top now. Is it? Okay, good. Some of it, yeah. They do 50%, I th- believe. Yeah, well, Nick drinks a lot of Grange. <laughs> You're at your Grange. <laughs> yeah, it's mine. Can I buy out of my cellar. for you? <laughs> <laughs> you know, he doesn't buy it. He, buy, he takes it straight out of my cellar. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Right. That's no, the 389, the poor oh, man's Grange. The 389 <laughs> is just my. That's, that's, his, that's his drink. Yeah, that's that's yeah. his go-to drink yeah, yeah, yeah. out of my out of my cellar. It's definitely better than my he's dad's got cellar. It, he's got it right then. Yeah. And so uh, after that, I came up with a brand because that was based on being really good quality wine. But and in Australia, we make good quality wine. That's a given. So at least we're not. Well, I won't say that. 
I was going to say something else, but I can't say that. You can say um, what you like. This, this, is, <laughs> this is my borough show. You can fucking swear if you want. Well, I wasn't going to swear, but I was just going to say it's a swear word. It's a bit like, well, you know, we're in Australia. Let's drink Australian wine because there's a lot of um, products coming from Italy, for example, where they may not be consistent and they may not be, in my mind, they're not as great as our wines, as a reliable you know what you're getting, and if it's come all the way from Italy, who knows what kind of vessel it came on, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so good quality wine in Australia. It's easy because we're not sending it abroad. It's here, doesn't travel far, and you know you know what you're getting. Sort of nearly from like paddock to table, sort of thing. That's right, exactly. So uh, the given is good wine, then add a very amazing package to it, and that's what I did. And I started a brand called Tempest Two. Yep. And Tempest 2, with Tempest 2, I won the Global Packaging Award in the year 2000 for my packaging. Yes. Cool. So I'd sort of achieved um, my goal there, but the brand went really very well. And by the time I left there after 10 years, uh, it was doing a quarter of a million cases. So from start up to finish. Well, give give us a benchmark. I mean, I don't know. Is that a lot or is that not a lot? lot. It is. Sounds like a lot. Is that that cases of twelve? At thirty dollars a bottle retail. That's good. We turn straight (laughs) on to the amount of money, but yeah, you're right. Good boy. He's good. Yeah. Can I take him for a while? Uh, With me. You're gonna have to. You're gonna have to pay him a lot. You pay me in wine. (laughs) Okay, that's all I've got to pay you in. (laughs) I'll take it. And so then um, I got my dad to back me on that business because when I left the hotels, all I had was my tip jar, and that was pretty good, but not enough to start a wine company. And so Tempest Two became part of McGuigan Wines, the big publicly listed company. So I just decided that you know my hard work had done well and that the brand was doing well and that I could do it now for myself. Yeah. So in the meantime I saved up enough to back myself. That's, that's interesting what you what you that 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 little those stepping us through those processes there because that's interesting um for me as a father as a matter of fact but it's interesting for me just to reflect on that. So you took the process you said okay I'm a McGuigan but I don't want to be Justin McGuigan I want to be Lisa McGuigan on my own, in my own right. But you went and learned the game. Then you took it to the next stage. You did something. Now you've, and then you felt you were at the right stage to do it on your own. Yes. And I, I guess Nick Fordham's gone through the same process, and Nick Boris is going through the same process. Um, and there'd be a lot of people out there listening to me whose parents might own the local cafe or the local service station, and the the kids sort of going through the same process and working out how do they go, how do they learn the the skills and get the confidence. Yes. And then go to the next stage and do it, do it on their own. Yes. And that, that, that's a big thing in this country. Uh, l- lots of families go through this process. Mm. It's, a, it's James a, Kennedy, a couple James weeks Kennedy, a couple of weeks ago, exactly. And uh, Johnny Winning, Winning yep. um, from Winning's Appliances, exactly the same thing. So, so okay, so you got through Tempest 2 is, was a, is a McGuigan brand yes. um, or a line, um, which you, you developed and won the global best label. Yes. In 2000, was it? Not 2000? In 2000. 2000. Now, tell me about. Your own, your own line of wines or your own labels? Well, what I have here is my latest collection. So in 2010, I went out on my own. And when you go out on your own, you really have to nail what you want to do because you haven't got, you know, time to fluff around. And, I mean, in any launch, you need to make sure you know what you, the, the product needs to be and you need to know what it needs to look like. You have to know all of that, obviously, before you start with with any reason for startups. So, so can I just give that people a lot of people startups listening to this show. 
um, and they're looking for your sage advice and yes. experience. Um, a startup, you need to know your product, which means you, know, you need to know what the market's looking for. Yes. So what did you decide the market was looking for in terms of the product? Not necessarily how it's packaged, but the product. So um, in order to, to really nail what I needed to come out with, having done been focused on something for 10 years where you're very entrenched in it. So if anyone's in an industry and they're about to move out and do their own startup, they have to make sure they're really top of their game on what they're going to start up. So they need to not just take a guess. You need to make sure that, you, for example, in wine, I um, so when I left Tempest 2, I thought what I'll do is just get back into the industry where I'm in a position to understand what people are drinking, not by doing some research or a survey or whatever, but I bought a bottle shop and it was a really crappy bottle shop that I knew I could make a little bit more money out of to get this going. What yep. a great experiment. Uh, I, I, think, <laughs> I think that's the best bit of market research I've ever heard of in my life. Well, you've got to get in there yeah, and yeah, do it yeah. yourself because yeah. you can pay a lot of money for market research. Yeah. And as a marketer, I think that a lot of market research is contrived information because when you do um, a focus group, that's great, but everybody knows they're getting paid to make some amazing comment. Yeah, so yeah I agree with that. it's a little contrived. And it depends what the questions are too. Exactly. And who else is in the room and who's trying to impress And what everyone room. else says and yeah, where yeah. you got the people from. So that's a whole other ball game. I think yeah. it's required in large companies. Yeah. But to nail it, you kind of got to work it out yourself. And so ground-level research. Yes, ground-level research. I mean, you don't have to go and buy a business and and do it the way I did it, but I knew that that would help me in two ways. The first way, to gain a little bit more, um, to make that, to make a profit on that business that just gave me a little bit more cash because I just needed to make sure I didn't have to borrow any money off anyone ever again. So the second thing it did for you is it gave you cash flow. Yes, because I gutted a building that was like, have you ever been into a bottle shop and it looks like a convenience store? And it's, I mean, you must have been into a crappy bottle shop. Heaps of them. Mm. Heaps of them. And this was a crappy bottle shop in the, in the city. So it had like a... Probably um, the genesis for big chains like Vintage Cellars and things yes, now where they sort of... That's right. They, they've got this, um, this sort of format because they, they saw that crappy convenience store and they're like, okay, I'm going to make my bottle shop look like a, like a, a cellar door type yeah, thing, you know? Yeah, and yeah. make it look like people want to go in there. Let's attract yeah, people sure. to our outlets. Mm. So I refurbished that and gutted it and started again and turned it into a New York-style bottle shop. So it went up because it was, it was small. I went up into the cavity cool. and had ladders. and Like a loft. Yeah, and I loved it. It was, it was like... Good stuff at the top. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or near my feet, yeah. where, I, where my desk was. <laughs> where was it? Was yeah. it in Sydney? Yeah, just in, uh, it was in Kent Street. Oh, I'm going to have a look at it. Is it still, do you still own it? No, I sold it. Ah. But I, no, I'm but not going to have a look at it then. But still it still it looks the same. What going was it to called? Kent Street Cellars. Kent Street Cellars. I'll go I've seen in that. there. It's really beautiful. I had the detailing was just amazing. I did overspend just a little, but then. <laughs> But then someone came in and wanted to buy the store, so and paid you. They just helped, paid you over. It helped me um, with you know just getting a little bit closer to what I needed to start. The, and what did you find out there, Lisa? What did, what do people want? I mean, well, how much in, do they want to pay for stuff? It's interesting because I was there a lot of the time by myself because it was just a very small business. But it's right under the um, the building is the observatory uh, observatory apartments. Yeah, yeah. I think it was. 
across from the I know observatory it is. It's up the top hotel. of the They're really fancy near one, the yeah. Harbour Bridge next yeah. to the fire station. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those fire men are awesome there. That always helped me unload the trucks. Did you see a little shrug of your shoulder then when you said those five and awesome? A little shrug going on there. It was a great spot. They were really nice up there. (laughs) Anyway. I bet they were. You're naughty. (laughs) (laughs) And I just sort of picked the little shrug going on. (laughs) Anyway, that. um, You're going all coy. I'm coy now. I'm coy. (laughs) So, what else it did? What else it did was it. I had sales reps from every wine company in Australia coming to see me, wanting me to try the wines. Now, as a wine person, that's just so far from what happens. For me as a wine person to know every product in any bottle shop is very, like that's unusual because no one comes into a winemaker to the opposition and says, here, try my Chardonnay, what do you think? It's not that kind of situation. So when I was a bottle shop person, the reps were saying, oh, come on, I'll show you this. There was no um, – there, there wasn't that competitive issue, you see. So you, so you, were, you were like an open source at that stage. You you prepared to try anyone's wines so you knew what was going on out there in the marketplace. Yeah. So whereas if you're a, a wine person like a McGuigan person, you're only going to know the McGuigan stuff. That's right. Generally. And you're taking a guess at all the other products in the market. Yeah, so yeah. what I learned – your question was what did I learn? And what I learned was that there's this whole – well, Sauvignon Blanc – I couldn't believe my eyes that, because I'm not a fan of Sauvignon Blanc. It's the first drink a chick drinks, and after a few hangovers, you just don't want to go there. Seriously, <laughs> is that is that a Hunter Valley hangover? Because uh, Hunter Valley sort of more more Chardonnays and uh, non Sauvignon no, Blancs. So they're more a New Zealand cold climate thing, is it? Well. Look, the hunter is Chardonnay and Semillon, yeah. renowned, and and uh, Shiraz. Shiraz, yeah. But the Sauvignon Blanc is younger chicks are drinking it and I just saw how the pricing of Sauvignon Blanc was because my idea was that, well, Sauvignon Blanc must be about $25, $30 and if I did one, it would probably be oaky, sort of an American style. Like that's if I was thinking, Lisa, the winemaker, what, am, what kind of wine brand am I going to create? But after doing my time in the bottle shop, there was no way I would do a woody a Sauvignon Blanc because the chicks were coming in and they wanted one around 20 bucks. So I was way off the mark. That was just on one product. So imagine on, um, say, 15 different key varieties. I didn't realise that, you know, most people under 40 turn their nose up at Chardonnay. Yeah, and if you're over Chardy, 40... You think of Kath and Kim. Yes, yeah. I mean, that's... By the way, it's coming back, though, I heard. Maybe you're the one responsible for bringing Shardy back, are you? I'm bringing Shardy back. I'm serious. It is coming back. It's cool again. I know it's cool again because cool people I know are drinking it. Yeah, I think it's made a massive comeback. It has. I know my wife, my wife's a massive Chardonnay fan. Is she? Mm -hmm. um, Has she always been a Chardonnay fan? No, she's turned. She's probably turned the last sort of 10 years. So she was a Sav Bonk. She was. She was. And Uh now now we're well and truly in the Chardonnay. So that's great. So what Lisa's telling us now for those is that um, your market research can actually go against a trend. And don't be afraid to buck the trend. Yeah. Is one of those a rosé? Because I feel like rosé has been drinking everywhere at the moment. Well, like this, guys and girls and this is a sparkling uh, rosé. Yeah. Well, it's a moscato, yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's pink. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's in a grey bottle. I, I I can't stand it. My girlfriend drinks liters of it. Does she? But yeah. you might like this one. Oh, is it hey, is it I'll sweeter get, or dry? Oh, I just yeah, just not into the, sort of the sweet. The sweet. Yeah. Oh, and 
Yeah, but a bit of everything, I think. Yeah, can, can, I, can I say, I, I love... Want to look cool. Oh, I, and I <laughs> don't Nick, like sweet I, I actually, I love yeah. rosé, and, and I'll tell you why. It's only, refreshing. Well, no, 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 I have an image of it. Like, I, the, the first time I ever tried a Chardonnay was in the summer in France, in, like, I was in... Um, rosé, you mean? Rosé. Yeah, yeah. Rosé, yeah, so I said rosé. It was originally the crap wine, right? The, the stuff that they're throwing. No, but not in, in, no, but in, not in Europe, it's not. Not really, no. no and no, and, and no. I, have a, I have an association with rosé like that, yeah. like kid. Yeah. And I think when I'm, if I buy, if I walk in a bottle shop yeah. and it's a hot day, like it has been, I will buy a bottle of rosé only because of the association I have in, in my sort of experience, my memory yeah. sense. Yeah. Not because I'm thinking it's a great drink to drink. Yes. Uh, it's, just, it's just a, a nice, somewhere between a red and a white. Mm. And it's a hot day, and I feel like having a cold bottle of it. Is does that is that a, uh, is the experience part of this important? Yes. Very. Interesting how you've it's made very. this the silver bottle because it's a pink. You know, you want to sort of show off the colour of the wine, but it, it's all covered by that. that yeah. Label, well, it? I've done that because I want it to be a bit different. Yeah, and sure. It's, and it's not really about buying a pink product. Sure. It just comes out slightly pink. It's not. Mm. It, it, it's um. It's more like a, a rose colour. Just if I'm walking to a bottle shop and I'm sort of you know. A lot of people are in a, in a rush. I notice a lot yes. of people in a rush when they come to the bottle That's shop. That's another thing I learned. Are they, learned go, from are the they missing that because they're looking for a pink bottle somewhere? Or, or well, that, well, that'll be in the rosé section. Yeah, well. well <laughs> but still, you're looking at the colour of the. Like, every time I'm in there, I'm looking for the. Okay, where's the red or the whatever? Nick, you gotta slow down, man. Like, uh, I'm worried about you. you <laughs> 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 well, well, that was another thing that I learned from my market research, which you wouldn't learn from um, market research that you'd buy from a company that do it that people have, like, one minute to, to select their bottle of wine. So they might the, have their car parked out the front. What are the three things, Lisa, that you learned from your market research? Like, the three most important, I'm sure you learned hundreds of things, but, like, give us three things that helped you produce um, Lisa McGuigan wines or the, your new labels. Okay, so it, um, firstly it gave me the understanding of the key varieties that I should and, and what consumers think of each variety. So it changed my outlook from a winemaker's outlook to a consumer's outlook. Very important to get the consumer's you view. To, you have to be able to get into the head. So you have to put – I put that on when I'm thinking about what products to come out with. So right. that was very – that was the main thing that I learned. The next thing I learned was that uh, packaging is very important and that it's not about making it a girly-looking package because – my, from my research, I found that this. A lot of wine companies think that if you make it, if you're appealing to the females, you've got to put flowers and make it like look like girly. But that is not the case. Right. Women like men, so women like, usually like men, and they're and it's um, the masculine part that the women are attracted to. And women are attracted to a masculine-looking product. They don't like bows and yeah. crap all over it. So you don't make a phallic. You're not going to make a phallic symbol bottle or something. <laughs> like a bottle. I wouldn't. I wouldn't go that far. Okay, okay. No, just sort of but, throw that in. No, but these products. So you got to have some fun. <laughs> I've seen products with flowers all over it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's like, well, it's clearly being driven to the female market. But really, I don't want as a female. I don't want that on my that shit on my. Wine because, because because but that's that, that's it's interesting you say that Lisa because it, it they, they, they know the right person to appeal to but they're not giving them the right appeal. That's exactly right. Yeah. So how did what, you work that out? How did you work out the females? I totally right. Yeah, well, right. I noticed that females like guys, yeah, and yeah. then I went, <laughs> they must like the masculine look because 
Are they trying to appeal to the guy when they bring the bottle of wine home? Maybe I, I mean, and is, that is the key. Yeah. So look, darling, I will get over home. There's so Nick, a combination. Oh, I've got, got to have a crack at Nick in a minute. <laughs> okay, so when you take this product home, when the chick buys this, yeah, yeah. which could have alternately, alternatively had a, I don't know, some more of a, you've seen bottles with a woman on it and things mm. like that. That isn't going to appeal to a woman. So everyone sort of got it wrong. And you know why they get it wrong sometimes? Because mostly wine packaging is done by men. Right. Because the guy, the, bottle, the, the winemaker picks the bottle, he then does the label, and it's not because he's a chauvinist, it's because he's the winemaker, he's probably the one-man band, and he makes the decision on the label. So I just had to cut that all down and work out what people were looking for. And now I make wines that look masculine because when the chick buys that because she likes it because it's metal and it's got a cross and it's sort of tactile. Oh, I dig that. It looks pretty good. She gets it home to the, to the boyfriend. Is actually metal? Yes. I was going to say, could, I was asking, can, I have a feel, can I have a feel? Yeah, feel mm-hmm. that. Tell us about the travellers, like uh, the mini bar range. The travellers. No, hang on, I want to get, hang on, before we want to get the third thing. Okay, sorry. Apart from the packaging. You're right, I didn't need to slow down. And so they take that home to their husband or their um, boyfriend and they put that on the table and he goes, doll, that looks amazing. That looks amazing. Yeah. Not oh, oh, another rosé, which yeah. is what you'd say. So <laughs> it's, it's, it appeals to both sexes. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the third thing is that I realised, and I didn't want to realise this because I'm probably more inclined to be on the artistic side of the winemaking rather than the real cold facts of it's all about price. Yep. But that destroyed. That was like it took me ages to get over that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had to really. So what? Where's the price point? I mean, what are we talking about here? I mean, is there? I guess there's different ranges. Isn't there's it? different ranges, but yeah. I, what I didn't know was that people go in and look for a twenty dollar wine for tonight. Friday nights they might do a thirty dollar wine. I didn't actually have that in my head, and that's what's helped me with my range that I've released. Right. So the bottle shop was a great um, learning. So you, you so what you worked at basically is the three most important things. It's the product, the packaging, and the pricing. Yeah. The three P's. I go so. to the old double rule. Like, you know, I say, oh, $20 bottle shop. You look like you're being like, cheap. Probably, probably like a $40 bottle on the, on the menu. You know, yeah. That's sort of somewhere in the middle that yeah. you'd spend. Well, that, that, that's exactly it. But yeah. see, I didn't think like that because yeah. I'm, I've not been a consumer yeah. of wine because I've always been. You always brought your own. I always bring my own. She's got a seller. I'd say there's a few sellers of wine you can choose from. It's the handbag version of it. That's right. Tell us about this stuff. Is this new? I'm definitely taking you home. Because I I, I have to say, I want to tell you a quick quick story, Lisa. Um, um, uh, Nick Boris's mum, his uncle is a guy called John Spalvins, who you may have heard of. He used, to own, Bell. used to own Penfold's Wines. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> and, um, or the, Ry- the Rymel family. The Rymel. The no, Rymel. no, 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 no. John, John, no, the Rymel family owned Rymel Wines. Oh, okay. He and owned John that. owned oh, Penfold's. Okay. Yeah, right. And, of wow. course, they treasury, had, his, his mother's, now, uh, they had plenty of Penfold's, which is how I got introduced to Penfold's. I, I wasn't, I grew up in Punchbowl, so I didn't know a lot about wine. <laughs> we, we were <laughs> flagons of, uh, <laughs> flagons of Moselle's, what Black we rats. had. <laughs> Everybody, uh, bourbon coat, black rat. Uh, no, not even that, mate. It was flagons of Moselle. That's what yeah. it was. I don't even know they had Moselle anymore, but it was big, great big flagons of the shit. Anyway, but I got introduced in that, so I, you know, I tried to become a convert into Penfolds because I could get it for very cheap. But one of the things that I got, he introduced me to was we used to go to this uh, um, restaurant in um, Wallara, which is now called the Chiswick. But what was it called before that? Prunius. 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 Yeah. 
which is where mum and I got married. Mm. And um, Perunias was owned by an old Italian guy um, who's not around these days and it was a sort of pretty, well, anyway, we go there all the time and, like, and he used to go to the menu and he'd open up the menu and he'd go for the Penfolds 389 but he'd go for the half bottles because he worked out two half bottles were cheaper than one full bottle. And we really? would, yeah, so we would sit there drinking half bottles all the time. And I actually oh. got this, and uh, the, the, the owner, the arbitrage, because <laughs> he was, that's what his yeah. game was. He, yeah. was a, he was an arbitrage guy. And um, I then started, so then what we did is we went all around Australia. He got a guy to go around all the bottle shops in Australia and we bought, I don't know, 50 dozen or something <laughs> like bottles of um, Penfold's half bottles. We bought them. We, wow. we, we cleaned them out. I ended up having about 30 cases in my house and he had the rest. It might have been more. The guys from... Um, and I, I just think these yeah. I think these half bottles are great. And yeah. the problem is they've gone the other way. Now, they're much more expensive. They're not equal to half. They're like uh, 70% of the price of a full bottle. But I think a half bottle is great or a small bottle is great because yes. it's, it's all I want for, for that night. So I, yes. I don't want to open up a full bottle of wine, especially if I'm on my, on my own. Sometimes I put it in the fridge, and I think you're a bit of a bogan putting it in the fridge, but there's probably nothing wrong with doing that. But I don't like leaving well, it out. It's in the fridge at the moment. It's probably vinegar by now. It's been but, I mean, but can I, how important is that? Because I, the, the size of a bottle of wine, uh, uh, if there's two people, you've basically got to, nearly got to drink the whole bottle. That's maybe a bit too much more. If I just want one glass, mm. is that what the whole idea of these little ones are? Yes. But, I thought they were for the mini bar. But on the, there's a few <laughs> reasons for these. But, in, but back yeah. to the half bottle, um, that's a really interesting story about how he went around and bought all the half bottles. There's a couple of um, things to know. And the first one is that the half bottles age faster than uh, if it's got a cork in it than a full bottle. Yeah, they were corked. Bec- were they? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. This, well, I tell you what, we're going back to uh, well, when there were two, 2000. Yes, right. Yeah. Okay, so they age a lot faster. So if you've still got some, they will age a bit faster than a 750ml because of the size of the bottle, you see. Right. So, uh, yeah. But basically they're going to get drunk very quickly because that's no, the whole purpose. Because w- no, but if they're red and they're ageing and they're like oh, better than pen folds, yeah. then you've got some amazing wines there because the half bottles will Fuck, I've been faster. drinking the wrong ones. I should have been drinking the full bottles. They'll age faster, yeah. Anyway, like um, but the half bottle is great Sleepy. for when, you've, when you only want to have one glass at night. Yep. And also, you know, with all of the licensing restrictions now, sure. the service of alcohol, you know, there's a lot of scrutiny around it because of not at home. But I have come out with these um, roadies. Roadies, yeah. 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 I like Travellers. Traveller. Roadies. Yeah. Um, because that's that's like one and a half serves. One, and, half, the one and a half one standard, standard drinks. drinks. One and a half standard drinks. Right, okay. And are they popular? They are, but I also sell them to the airlines and so what I want to do is take Australian wine to the airlines around the world because just when you go on a plane, some you might notice if you sit in the economy cabin that you get really crap wine. Yeah, well. Everywhere in the world. I very rarely drink on a plane, but. There's not very was, many airlines I'm going to that have. I'm going to take notice. But they, they don't have, um, airlines don't have great wines on board. So. Uh, I just started doing this. I did this a couple of years ago when I launched my brand for Jetstar and I did the wines with them for two years. I, they told me I could have six months and it went so well. So what is that? This is Shiraz yep. from The Hunter yep. and Pinot Grigio um, from Victoria. Right. Because I'm not Grapes just Hunter. from Victoria. Yeah. Yeah, right. I'm not just Hunter. I source from all different regions because I don't have any vineyards. Right. Because I don't really want to be... 
this um, is a white label product, isn't it? Like all of all of these. So they're sort of like your your label, but on wines that you think are yeah, worth brand. That's right. So you buy yeah, the okay. wines or the grapes? I buy in some cases. I buy the grapes. I've yep. got a share in a winery in the Hunter. Yeah. So I don't have to be there all the time. Yep. Which means I can come and hang out with you. Mm-hmm. And that's cool. And um. I pick fruit from different areas and I sometimes buy it in juice, like, for example, from I have Pinot Noir from Adelaide Hills because I, the fact is I don't own vineyards, which makes my business model much different but also uh, effective because I don't have all my money tied up in vineyards. Yeah, yeah. And I can change my products with Quickly. the trends. Yeah, absolutely. So I can react to what – so this is a brand that's built by a marketer and the marketing is really important to be able to change when I need to. So if Pinot Grigio didn't wasn't popular anymore, I wouldn't be committed to Pinot Grigio for the rest of my life because I've got a vineyard somewhere with Pinot Grigio okay, grapes. And so for those people listening, I think it's another important thing. Don't get stuck. Um, don't, you, I don't think you – I think too, too many of us go out there in small business and we try to prescribe what the market wants. We, we become, you know, yes. like doctors and we, we're writing a prescription. We're saying, well, that's what you need. When in fact that's – You'll tell me what you need. You're the consumer. Yes. And, I mean, you did your consumer research by owning the, the vineyard, but now you've kept yourself flexible. Yes. So you, as the research tells you that a consumer wants something different, you've got to be in a position that you um, can pre- supply something different. A lot of times the reason we can't supply something different is because we are caught up in the the value and the asset infrastructure that we've created ourselves and we think, shit, I built this bloody machine um, i got to sell uh, Moselle because that's what the market needs and also the market say, no, one Pinot Grigio. Yeah, is that, that's yeah, exactly yeah. right. So flexibility is really important. It's very important. And don't always just use a model that someone else has created. Find your own model because you can't always apply another model to what you want to, what your result is yep. or what you see your result as being. So in the past, everyone has a vineyard and a winery and a cellar door. And so people say to me, oh, can I go to your winery? And I'm like, no, don't have one. Oh, can I go to your cellar door? No, I don't have one. Because they're things that aren't as important to me as building a brand that has someone that's based in Sydney going around. Like I can, I'm here three days a week. So I have a place here in Sydney. So I'm here to um, go and spend time in the retail stores, do wine tastings in the stores. And not a lot of wine companies have a winemaker in the stores. They have a tasting chick. So that's also a different thing in my where mind. Where do you buy your stuff? I mean, where would I go buy your stuff? If, available, online or? Available at all independent retailers. All independent. So yes. it's not, not with the Coles or the Woolworths no. people. Okay, so you're at all independent so does that retailers. that mean not at like the, the you know, the, their... VC. Dan Murphy's yeah, and all that. Yeah, yeah, all those no. sorts of places. No, no so yeah. they're all owned by yeah, the, yeah, the big I know, ones. I, know. Yeah. Just why, I like I mean, to go to the little guys because they understand... A little brand. Okay, I get that. What about online? I was going to say online. No. Why not? Because you don't want to have a channel conflict. I don't want to compete. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I'm. I only deal with retailers and restaurateurs. Yep. Because that's also my model. Yeah. If I sell against them. Yeah, yeah. Then Ah. they get pissed off. I'll be sitting at home all day filling orders on the thing, and I don't like to do that. I give it. I go out and sell to the retailers, and I do it the old-fashioned way. Yeah, the only old-fashioned part of my brand is that I go out to the people that know how to do it, restaurants, bottle shops, and let them sell it because that's their livelihood. Sure. And I don't want to sell uh, against them, even though I could. I could have a great online business, but I'm not really interested in that because, you know, it's all about personality and it's about being in the stores. And wine brands are built on 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 personality and great product and. It's important to me that I don't 
go out and get these mixed up. Four bottles of wine you got here because I'm getting the wrap up here because I've got to bring Dean up here. He's going to no talk worries, to me about but the I won't take you through them all. But I'll just tell you that I've got two. I've got two different. Um, I call them collections because yep. I look at wine like fashion, because wine is as important to me as what handbag I'm carrying and what shirt I'm wearing. Because when you go out to a restaurant, you know, you want to take something that's kind of handsome, that looks good. If you're going to a BYO, that looks great, that you're proud to have in your hand. So there's two, and I call them collections because they're like a range of clothing to me. And if I weren't a winemaker, I'd be in fashion. You are, I'm in, obsessed fa- well, you with are it. in wine fashion. Well, we are in the business of fashion. Mm. And so, you know, I'm obsessed with that. And uh, so there's a silver collection, which is, I didn't bring, oh, here it is, there it is, that's the baby, but it's in 750s as well. This is entry-level 20 bucks bottle. And then there's the platinum, which is named after platinum because I use that platinum material yep. on my bottle. And these are around $30 retail, so very... Does that include the silver bottle? Yeah. And, and the black bottle? I, yes. like, I actually like the black bottle. Uh, yeah, the black... Oops. Shall I pour you a... Quick sip. Give me a taste. Is everyone thirsty? Give, yeah, give me a taste. You've got okay. to have a taste of this. I know we're not allowed to put it on here, but I've got water on there already, so. But don't cool. tell anybody. We just, you just I'll wipe it, it off. I brought, a, I brought a hanky. Just told the world. <laughs> <laughs> just quickly tell us what we should be looking for here. Like, I, I understand all that stuff, notes, and uh, but just tell me. Yeah. What am I smelling here? Sniffing. Um, well, this one is a... What you, what, so when we look at a wine... We look at three things. Firstly, if we're seriously analysing it and you're going to give me a verdict on what you think of this wine today. So the first thing is we nose it and that just gives us an idea of what the aromas are so that you're preparing yourself for the taste. But we we taste through our, all our senses. So that's got a nice fresh character to it. I know that, you know, it, it, it smells good enough to, that it's going to taste great. Um the second thing that we do is, um, well, the, actually, the first thing is the colour. So we look at that colour and we can see that it's not a extremely complex wine. It's not really dark like a Chardonnay could be. We know that it's going to be fresh and aromatic. I can tell by that. And then the third thing that we do is we taste it. And I'll just uh, give you a little um, tip. And that is what my dad taught me when I was nine. And that is how to taste wine. And he told me that... Just at nine. Th- well, I didn't drink more than a sip, but <laughs> yeah, that's what you I say. think Nick and I have had a few glasses when we we're underage. <clears throat> she used to babysit me and... <laughs> <laughs> and he wouldn't shut up. Okay, so good. I just good give him a say, drink this, babe. Wow. <laughs> stitch up. And so take a, just take a sip the way you normally would and then I'm going to show you how to do it the way I learnt. Okay, and now do it this way where you take the wine in the sort of at the tip of your tongue and you aerate it across your palate almost like you're sucking it back into your throat and it goes like this. <sighs> Bloody beautiful. <laughs> it, almost, it almost finds its natural way down your throat, doesn't it? That's it kind does. of the idea. And it you, get does. Di- you get a different flavour. Did you get a different flavour? Yeah, you do. Mm. And that just yeah, opens it, goes it up. Yeah, yeah. It opens it up and therefore that's how that wine's going to be once it's been in the glass just for a few minutes. But when so you first doing that on every sip, and Nick, when you, <laughs> and Nick, when you go for dinner with Oxana, you sit in the restaurant and you do you do one of those. She's going to get up, walk out. It's almost like you <laughs> a straw, right? Like, like yeah, yeah. You, you need to aerate it, but yeah, it wouldn't yeah. look good if you're drinking it out <laughs> yeah, of the yeah. straw. You'd get thrown out either way. <laughs> 
But if you've got, if you've got those um, Invisiligns on, people, they do drink their wine out of a straw with Invisiligns. Invisiligns pretty popular these days, so <laughs> your brother's got it, so he drinks out of a straw. That's the only way you can drink red wine. Dane, he wears the Invisiligns, you've got to drink out of a bloody straw. Otherwise, you get all red shit all over your teeth and in the, in the Invisiligns. Anyway, but oh, I, 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 right. I sorry, digress. Yes. Okay. I so maybe there could that. be something in that, you know. Yeah. Maybe you should do Look, a little bit of research. Maybe I need to come up with the right straw. A cool straw. We've got, a, we've got a fashion business, so you, you want to hang around for this one, Lisa? Yeah, I will. Thank you very much, Lisa. Thank you very much. And brilliant, brilliant. Love no, seriously, it was a great talk and uh, you added a lot of colour to us today. Thank you. As we expected. And uh, this, this is a good taste. I wouldn't want to hang out here for the rest of the day. Cool. Well, we can't. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Stay here, stay here, stay here. We've got Zero here today, which is one of my favourite... Uh, online accounting software. Is that the best way to explain it, Trent? We've got Trent here, the MD. That's a great Trent way. Trent That's a great way to explain it, Mark. Online software for accounting, online software for bookkeeping, online software for getting trial balances up, online software for managing your cash flows and inflows and outflows and knowing where you stand at the end of the month or any time during the month. Is that the best way to explain it? Probably the best way to explain it, Mark, is that we're an online accounting platform for small business. So our, our demographic is small business. Yep. Uh, so we do do all those things you mentioned, but the best way to explain it is, you know, an online accounting platform for small business. Okay, so I'm, an, I'm a small business guy. Um, we're the Mark Borough Show, Nick, and uh, we need an accounting platform. But what, I'm, what do I mean by an accounting platform? What are you, what are you talking about there? So believe it or not, uh, most small businesses actually don't like doing accounting. So you try, no, I believe that. <laughs> try and find a small business that enjoys it. And what we managed to do was actually identify that and, and find a way to make it fun. So we have made small, small uh, we've, found, we've made accounting fun. So in the old days, you know, it was probably a laborious task. And it, we've almost made it like a game now. So you can basically go in there. You don't need to be an accountant anymore. Uh, and you can basically understand where you're at from a financial perspective. Okay. So, well, what do I do? Do I, do I buy a license for it or do I go online and sort of sign up? Do I get a subscription? How does it all work? I mean, so I, let's say I'm just setting up a business. I'm small business. I just set up. I just got my ABN. Um, I've got my business name registered. I've got my company structure set up. I've employed two people. I've taken up a lease in a shop down the road here. What's the next step? So the great thing about uh, cloud accounting, especially about Zero, is you can actually trial it. So number one, just sign up for a trial. Uh, you can use it for 30 days free. Yeah, make sure it's actually going to meet your needs. Uh, and then the best thing after that is actually connecting with an accountant or, or a bookkeeper. So one of the keys uh, or the key things that we did when we, when we started building the software and one of the premises for the whole idea behind it was collaboration. So the way the product works in the cloud is you can share your data between the small business owner and the accountant or the bookkeeper. Because we know if an accountant or bookkeeper is more involved with a small business advising them, they're far more likely to be successful. And by the way, zero is spe- spelt... X-E-R-O. Yeah, just for anyone. Zero with an X. Zero with an X. So okay, I go online, I register, download it, I presume? No, you definitely don't download it. That's one of the great benefits of the cloud. You don't because have to download cloud. everything. It's in the cloud. That's so very important. It's available anywhere, anytime, on any device. All right, okay. So I put it on my iPad. I'm on my iPad. You don't even have to put it on. You just log in. Okay, I log in on my iPad. So, But I've got, to, I've got to register first, right? Correct. You register yeah. for a trial. So I bring it up. Um, it's on my iPad and... Let's say I have a whole lot of expenses today. Um, what happens? I mean, do I load my expenses in? What, how does it all work? So one of the great things and probably one of the real secret sources behind the back of uh, behind the back of Zero is we have feeds to our financial institutions. So one of the first things you'll do is connect to your bank or your financial institution, and then your bank transactions will start to flow automatically into into the application. So so so, so your your technology has software that l- hooks you in to the banking system. So it's, it goes into my 
check account or my credit card account or whatever it is I'm using for my business purposes and actually drags that information back. Yes, you can add, actually, uh, you can add in as many bank accounts or credit card uh, credit card accounts or any type of account that you like in, into, into Xero uh, and then it'll start bringing those transactions through uh, and then over time it will learn and you actually start mapping, it'll start mapping the transactions that you've You've actually entered into the into zero or come through from invoices to uh, to your bank statement, and you just start matching those off. And over time, it will learn that and it will start putting suggestions to you. You don't so have to put them in categories. I use MYOB um, for my business, and uh, you have to sort of assign sort of uh, descriptions, I guess, that sort of place each transaction in a category for when you eventually do your P and L and all that sort of stuff. So you, or does it or does it automatically do it on your platform? Because if so, I'd probably like to make the switch. <laughs> it's kind of annoying. At the beginning, you definitely need to tell it the first time what it needs to do, but over time it will learn that. So right. it it's intuitive. Suggestions. It's intuitive, correct. Yeah. Okay. So it's actually it's got a really smart engine in the background. It starts to learn yep. your behaviours and it learns your transactions and then it will make suggestions back to you and say, you know, you, last time you coded this to uh, to travel, uh, looks like the same sort of transaction. Is it travel? You say, yes, it is. Off you go and just hit, hit OK and it connects those two transactions together. Right, OK. So what's the apart from the sort of smart technology that sits behind it and, um, you know, obviously you're, you're, an evol- you're an evolution of MYOB. Now, what I mean by that is you came after MYOB and you probably picked up on all the things that used to annoy people about MYOB and you've tried to solve for that and it's, it's cloud-based as well. Um, but what's the real big attraction for Zero? Is it cheaper or faster or more accurate or easier or all of the above or... You're going to say all of the above for sure. <laughs> yeah, I definitely am. But it's not – I wouldn't say it's evolution. It's actually we're going through a, a major transitional shift in technology at the moment. So in terms of technology, it's never been a better time to be in small business. So a lot of this uh, technology was available to larger businesses for you know a long period of time, but small businesses couldn't access it. They just didn't have the, the capability to get it, and it was cost prohibitive. So you're definitely at a much – better cost point than you have been in the past. But you're actually, we're actually giving you a small slice of an overall much bigger platform that a small business can use and it allows them to, uh, it allows them to have access to that sort of capability that they just didn't have previously. Uh, in, in terms of functionality and capability, one of the great things about cloud technology and about Xero is it actually connects to this whole ecosystem as well. So we talked about connecting to financial institutions. We also have this whole raft of, um, of what we call ecosystem partners. So say for an example, you're a retailer and you need a point of sale system. We have over 500 ecosystem partners that are developing around the outside of Zero, and you can choose one of those. Think about an app store. It's like an app store for, uh, for Apple, same sort of concept. Right, okay. Something that's compatible with your platform as well, right? Yeah, so we go... you want it all to be talking to each other. Is that, is that the idea of... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So we go through and test all that and make sure. And before we put it up on our uh, on our app store, we've, we've tested that. And, but there's this whole thriving community building out all these solutions around the outside of zero. It's interesting because you know it it is otherwise a boring subject accounting because everybody wants to get out there and get sales and revenue, and they want to go and meet the customers, they want to build relationships up, <clears throat> or they want to sit in the background preparing and tinkering with the product and or the service, and they want to build up the brand and the proposition and all those sorts of things. But no one really, sort of begrudgingly, you have to keep records, unfortunately, because we've got all these authorities in this country and every country around the world, I guess. We have to abide by their and comply to their requirements for keeping records. Basically, the reason why you keep the records is so they can tax the shit out of you. Um, but, you know, again, the more successful they are, the more they're going to tax you. So they're, they're incentivised. So, but if, this is in order to, to satisfy the compliance um, so I'm actually curious about the guy who came up with this idea. 
I mean, why did he think this? How he could turn this sort of begrudging, boring sort of process into something that's cool and fun and accurate, complete? So there's a great story behind that, Mark. So, uh, so Rod Drury, our founder, uh, when he founded Zero, he, he founded off the back of actually facing that exact problem. So he lives in a place called Hawke's Bay in New Zealand. Yeah, and, I know it. Yeah, you know Hawke's Bay? Mm-hmm. Great, yeah, beautiful place, part of the world. And he, um, he had to go and visit his accountant uh, in one of the capital cities and he had to take the data with him on a USB key. And I think the story goes that when he actually got there, basically it was the wrong version, and he <laughs> couldn't actually he couldn't actually work with his accountant. He, he he he's a true entrepreneur, and uh, he doesn't necessarily have a lot of time or patience for those sort of things. And he said, "There's got to be a better way." So he actually sat down with his accountant and said, "Why can't we work on a, on a shared set of data at the same time?" And that is really what what where Zero came from. So he actually went down. He cut what the story goes. He cut the first couple of lines of code, uh, and very early on in the days, he brought a designer in. So one of the first people that was actually employed by Zero was a designer, and the whole idea behind that was to make it a beautiful user experience. And we have that in our tagline, and that's the way we do everything is around a beautiful experience. So it's about making it fun. You know, accounting shouldn't be laborious. It was interesting just as I was waiting to talk to you today, I was talking to one of our customers from, from Glam Corner, Dean, and Dean was actually saying when he met us and you were, we were from Zero, he said, I love doing accounting. <laughs> so you've got a small business saying they love doing accounting. Did you get it for free? Is it expensive, uh, by the way? I should ask you, what's it cost? So it, we have a range of different products. So it depends whether uh, it depends on you know, what sort of transaction volumes you have or whether you need payroll capability. So we have a starter package at the, at the bottom end that uh, is for you know, a small business just starting up, and we scale all the way but through. Give an example. Let's start. The person who just you know, drew the sort of vignette of um, – what does that person? So it starts about? at twenty five dollars a month. For, That's pretty uh, for bay, reasonable for twenty five bucks a month. And then let's say so all the do you add, do you do you give this software to do bookkeepers use this software for you? Yeah, so we have over over ten thousand accountants and bookkeepers uh, who are partners of Zero um, in Australia. Yellow Big Road's one. Yeah, oh, fantastic. Uh, so we um so so we encourage those guys to to work with their clients on on Zero, and uh, they they provide the advice. We build great software. They provide the advice, so you really need those two components to help a small business thrive. Uh, so that's that's the partnership that we have. I mean, there's over two hundred and sixty thousand small businesses using Zero in Australia now. Wow, and of course, there's two point one million of them. So that's your goal. You got ten percent. You want to get to the rest of the market. Yeah. So look, at this point in time, only about fifteen percent of the market are using online accounting in the Australian marketplace. Uh, so we've got a there's still a lot of market space to go. So you know, really excited about the opportunity ahead. But I also think I'm more excited about the opportunity for small business to become more productive. I mean, there's still a lot of small businesses using spreadsheets or working off the back of an envelope. Ledgers. Ledgers, you know, using a lot of manual paperwork. Yeah, or right. using desktop software. And it's just not it's just not working for them. They don't have – they're not using the capability that technology can provide them now. So are you guys listed, Zero? Yeah, we are listed. You're a listed so we, entity? We're a listed entity in both Australia and New Zealand. Right. And is this intending to be a global business? Is Zero in America? We are in America, so we have an office in the US, an office in the UK, and we just recently opened an office in Asia as well. Uh, we have um, we have over six hundred thousand customers in one hundred eighty countries around the world. Are there Already. any big incumbents over there in America that that are, were doing this stuff either before you MYB. or still? No, I know MYB. Is it MYB an Australian business that they listed here? So yeah, but they're in America. Though. I know, but are, no, are there they're, any... they're actually not in America. MYB is uh, owned, they're not owned, they're owned by someone else. Who are they owned by? Ah, uh, they're publicly listed. Yeah, but there's a major shareholder. There's someone who uh, Bain. Right. Yeah, so they are so they are listed in the Australian market. Okay, so there aren't any international, like truly international, like guys that have come out of America, where you know they're much bigger. Big, you know, they've started from much bigger 
beginnings as opposed to sort of a humble New Zealand-founded business. Well, what we tend to find is that I think, and it's probably due to technology, there's usually an incumbent in each country. Right. So there tends to be an incumbent desktop provider, but they only hit a small segment of the market. Right. And the reason for that, it was actually quite prohibitive. So apart from small businesses not liking to do accounting, the other thing they don't like is IT. So overall, you know, running IT, running servers, running desktops, that's actually quite hard for a small mm. business. Yeah. The great thing about cloud accounting or just cloud in general is you can just pick up a device and anywhere, anytime, and access it. Yeah, without having to have the server involved. You don't need. You actually don't need to be. Goes with it. It's a service, so it's yeah. basically just like I, the way I describe it. Quite often, it's like flicking on a light switch. Yeah, yeah, and, and there's another place that provides all the power. Correct. That, that, that's that's uh, okay. So I, ju- I do want to talk about your your competitor. I mean, no one wants to give competitors a, a free kick, but and I'm not. I'm, but I but I think the marketplace who's listening to you now needs to know what the choices are. MYOB, I said earlier, has probably got into the market before you guys did here in Australia. Um, like what's the difference between MYOB and Zero? So we're actually quite fundamentally different companies. So uh, you know, MYOB is very focused on the Australian and New Zealand market. You know, we, we are focused on building a global a global business. Uh, the world's a very flat place now. You know, I'm, I get amazed how many accountants and bookkeepers I speak to who are now uh, now have overseas clients. So they're actually managing the books for overseas clients, and they can do that because of the cloud. And I also speak to a lot of small businesses that actually now attract customers from overseas and they actually transact. Because one of the great things about Zero is you can actually transact from zero to zero. So if you've got an overseas customer or an overseas supplier, you can actually connect online and, and transfer transactions back and forth. That's so we are fundamentally different companies. Okay, um, because I do know that the entrance of Zero into the marketplace, was it last year or the year before? I mean, in terms of listing or whatever, what you did in a structural sense, actually got MYOB to become quite aggressive. The two of you are pretty aggressive relative to the, trying to get market share. Would that be right? We're definitely having a bit of fun. Yeah, well, which, by the way, is good for the consumer at the end of the day or the Absolutely. business consumer at the end of the day because uh, you guys are just going to keep improving your offering, improving your pricing, and um, consumers are going to get a better deal. Yeah, I think the biggest challenge is that small business actually wasn't getting invested in. So yeah. small business was actually falling behind. So you can now – you can almost be a, a big small business – so you can be a small business with two or three employees, but almost have the presence of being a big business because you've actually got the technology available to you. And it's really easy to set up. You can manage it yourself and you can expand and grow grow with that platform. So we're at a time now where I think it's probably the best time to be a small business from a technology perspective. Okay. So just talk about small businesses. So what sort of small businesses are taking up your offering? What, who are we talking about? All, all over the place. So well, what, what do you mean by small business? So small business to us is really, you know, really up to sort of that 20 employee mark. Right. You know, the sweet spot is really, you know, a couple of employees, but the sweet spot's up to sort of 20. And right. As you said, there's about 2.1 million of those yeah. in, 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 the Australian, in the Australian marketplace. Yeah, but being a small business is not easy. I mean, I get to speak to lots of small businesses and, you know, about a third of them um, tend to fail in the first uh, three years. So, you know, it's really important that they actually understand their financials. That, that number's probably right, by the way, because around about... On an, on an annual basis from the ABS, Australian Bureau of Statistics, statistics is that of the 2.1 million small businesses, around 200,000 every year go out of business and about just a little over 200,000 come back into business. So you get new new startups of about, say, 210, 220, and um, of the stock of 2.1 million, you lose about 200,000. So over a, a three-year period, that's about 30%. That'd be about right, but it's replaced by about thirty percent too. Correct, yeah. So it's not a really or a little growing. bit more than thirty percent, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's slightly growing. Net, 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 it's slightly growing. But I can say to you though, those are ABS statistics in small business area. If you go back pre GFC, it was a major difference between coming in and coming out. So 
the entry was double, the entry number was double what was going out. So you got 20% growth every year and 10% net going the other way, going out. But somehow the, the gap has narrowed um, into nearly being equal in terms of um, small business owners. And I think that part of the reason for that is that um, – uh, less people are game to be a small business owner in this country as a result of the GFC, but also there's less funding around compared to what used to be available for small businesses to get into, get into, or to be encouraged to come into business. And one of the great things is this government's doing, although I still yet to see the legislation having been passed by the Senate, is this uh, ideas nation or this this great innovation that's been uh, pushed around by. It. The Prime Minister and uh, the Minister for um, Innovation and the Junior Minister for Innovation, who's been on the show, um, we yet to see legislation. But one of the great things is they're trying to encourage people to go back into small businesses. What do you guys, as Zero, got to say about what the Prime Minister is doing in the innovation space and uh, you know the Ideas Nation? So look, we're definitely uh, look, we're def- definitely happy that they're investing. So the, actually, the the fact that the uh, that they actually made a much big mention on the last on the last budget. So they talked about you know the uh, the jobs initiative as well. So we actually started to see some uh, tax relief for small business, uh, which was which was fantastic. We're seeing the innovation fund as well. So we're allowing them to start you know the way that you can actually uh, reward your staff on, on the way through. We're starting to see some changes around that, which is fantastic. But we're also working really close with the ATO to actually remove help remove red tape as well. So if you can help a small business lodge their uh, compliance documentation a lot easier as well. That actually improves it. Once again, small businesses don't like doing red tape things either. Well, BAS, for Bass. example. Um, how do you guys fit into that? I mean, let's say a small business owner, which there's plenty of them, small business owners listening to us right now, they're, they're, one of their biggest problems is BAS. Yeah, so you can do a, a BAS directly out of the platform. Um, and you can also, of course, collaborate with your accountant or bookkeeper, as we talked about earlier, on a shared set of data, and they can help you do that as well. So, but like, let's say I hate doing the BAS. Um, how does Zero help me though? Like literally, how does it work? So we're trying to make it as easy as easy as possible. So when you're uh, when you've it's all set up when you when you're actually setting up the system in the first place, yeah. you know we'd always encourage you to use an accountant bookkeeper to help you do that to make sure that you're actually uh, set up correctly. And then once that's set up, the transactions will just flow through, and you can just produce a BAS statement uh, at the end of the quarter, and you'll actually have the transactions already sitting in there. For so you. do you refer uh, bookkeepers on to people? Do, I mean, do you have a list of bookkeepers you refer to people at Zero? Does Zero say, look, go and see this bookkeeper because you're in. Uh, Cremorne or you're in um, Hunters Hill or wherever yes. you are? Yeah, so we have an advisor directory uh, on, on our website and as part of that, we actually list our, our 10,000 accountants and bookkeepers. So if, if a small business comes to us and they don't have an accountant or bookkeeper already and they would like one, we'll, we'll, we'll encourage them or help them find one that can actually help them on zero. So do you um, have some sort of rating or, or feedback on these individuals who are, who are the 10,000 people? Do, can uh, you know a customer or someone go in there and say, you know, uh, Nick Boris, who's the uh, bookkeeper in um, Castle Hill, has been fantastic, and and uh, Jake can get up and say the same thing, and all of a sudden you get some sort of rating, and that way, if I'm looking up the ten thousand people, then I go into Castle Hill and I see Nick Boris and I see two references for him, I go, shit, I'll go for this guy. Now, look, we don't do a rating system per se. We do make sure they're actually a quali- either a qualified tax or BAS agent, so we go through that process, uh, and then off the back of that, uh, it's basically down on, on. They can search by location, they can search by uh, industry. As well, so if they're looking for someone who specialises in the industry they work in, they can find that as well. They don't. The days of actually using an accountant or bookkeeper necessarily in your local location has changed. I mean, you can actually connect with anyone from anywhere, effectively around the world. So you don't necessarily need them to be down the street anymore. If you still want that personalised service, by all means, you can have that. But you know, we would we'll encourage you to find someone that actually meets more of your business needs. So if you're a if you're a retailer and specialising in a particular retail segment. Yeah, it would make sense to deal with an accountant or bookkeeper that has the skills in that area. Okay, so do you have, of the 10,000, do you have people like in, in India, for example? 
No, we don't. We, we list uh, we list everyone from the Australian. Just Australian. Aussies. Just Aussies. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, this is sort of a, a, quite a, a. What's your market cap, by the way? Zero market capitalization. So market cap at the moment is just over, uh, just short of two billion. Two billion. Mm. Over what period of time have you, has it got from zero to two billion? Yeah. So we listed in the in Australia in, two, in 2011. 2011. So there's plenty of zeros after the two. That, that's brilliant. That's a two billion dollar market cap is pretty bloody and, and significant. Who's your biggest shareholder? Uh, biggest shareholder is still Rodri, who's the original founder. Right, the New Zealand guy. And Correct. what other big shareholders have you got in there? So the other big, uh, so what some of our board members, and there's a few big institutional investors in there as well. Right, so you've done a brilliant job. This is great, and you're new to the job. I am correct. Yeah, so I've been in the uh, the managing director role now for oh, just coming up on. 200, 200 bit months. Yep. So uh, look, I have been at Zero for three years. Right. So, so you were you were already with Zero? Yeah. So I started when we had about forty thousand customers, and we've now got over two hundred and sixty thousand. So I, I joined yeah about about three years ago. Actually, three years ago this week, in fact. What's the next big plan for for Zero? So the next big plan for Zero is you know continuing to help small businesses thrive, and that's that's really the foundation about what we build our business on in the in the first place. You know, I mentioned before we're only at we're only at fifteen percent market share, so there's a long long way to go. The foundations of the business are fantastic, and we're you know, 10,000 partners, lots of customers. There's a lot more we can actually do to help small business. So we'll continue to work hard to, uh, to try and make their lives much easier and make it a bit fun as well. We want, we want small business to be fun. I'm, I reckon it's a, it's a lofty goal, but it's a bloody great goal to make counting cool and fun. Zero seems to me to be the closest thing I've ever seen to have, have done that. And, uh, and as you evolve, I'm sure you're going to get there and you're going to make it cool. I still don't feel like it's cool, but <laughs> but I get it. It is much cooler than it used to be. And and it's one of those things you just have to do. So It's cool to have that side of your business sorted out. That's for sure. That's cool. And uh, and not have to worry about it. Yep. There's nothing worse than worrying about it at the end of the quarter, your, your bass stuff, you know, like it's – because it actually just gets in your head and just scratches away and – you, you forget to, to concentrate on your own business, which is the real game. Yeah, absolutely. You want them to be concentrated on the things that are important. And that's yeah. growing your business. I mean, I mentioned Dean before, and uh, you know, just talking to Dean, he runs his balance sheet, his P&L, and his cash flow statement every morning, and he's act up to date every day. So well, he knows exactly where he's at in his business every day. Okay. Well, Trent Innes, thanks very much. Lisa, yeah. thanks very much for coming all the way home. Thank you. You're a hoot, and I think your stuff is fantastic. Thank and you. I will be going to an independent salon getting some of your wine. 100%. Great. And if you can't find it, you can just give me a call. I knew that. And I'll give Thanks you that. Thank you. And, 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 and I want to say to you, uh, Trent, um, good luck in the venture with Zero, mate. It is a brilliant base. Everyone in this room is using the bloody stuff. Um, you are on a winner, and uh, congratulations. Thank and you I want to say much, to everybody, mate. thanks very much. It's been a really good show today. Appreciate it. See you guys. Thank you. You're awesome. Thanks so much. This has been the Mark Boris Podcast. You can follow Mark on Twitter at Mark Boris and find out more at markboris.com.au. Listener.